into Esther, the book of Esther, beginning in chapter 8. Esther chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you about Phyllis. She was a wonderful woman who, uh, despite being wonderful, had a penchant for being late. And so in the bulletin of her funeral service, her family made the following announcement. In honor of Phyllis, her funeral will begin 10 minutes late. The uh, National uh, Fight Procrastination uh, Day organization has set September the 6th as the day to fight procrastination. Now, you probably have not heard of that because they just didn't get around to telling you. That kind of slowness and lack of urgency is not present in the book of Esther. There is, from beginning to end in the book of Esther, great and intense action and energy all the way through. You remember the story, don't you? Esther came to be the queen of this particular kingdom with King Ahasuerus in one language, Xerxes in the other, uh, through a set of unusual circumstances. And she is ruling there and she discovers a plot by Haman to annihilate all the Jews. Now that is a lesson, by the way, in obeying God. About five or six centuries before, Saul was commanded to do something in 1 Samuel 15 to keep that from happening, and he did not do it. And one of the descendants of King Agag, an Amalekite, determined to exterminate the Jews. In other words, Saul's disobedience reverberated five and six centuries down the road and nearly wiped out the entire nation of Israel what happened. That's why obedience is profoundly important, and Esther ends up struggling with that son. Even though she discovers that Haman is going to wipe out her people, it's not known in the kingdom that she herself is Jewish. She reveals it to the king and begs him to save the Jewish people. The problem is, is that this is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And when you establish a law, you cannot disestablish it. You cannot override a law. You cannot cancel out a law in the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. That means you've got to be very careful in the first place about what laws you put into place to begin with. This particular king was not very careful with just about anything. He was reckless with his marriage. He was reckless with his laws. He was reckless with his staff. He was reckless and careless and very silly and frivolous in many ways with many things that he did. And Esther finds herself in a position to change these things. Her people are going to be wiped out, so she exposes to the king that the people that he has decided to wipe out are her own people. And he begs, she begs him to instill another law to let the Jews take up arms and defend themselves. He agrees. In fact, he tells Esther and he tells Mordecai, her uncle, to write the law themselves. And to communicate the law throughout the empire, we have chapter 8, beginning in verse number 7. Read there with me, beginning in verse number 7. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he tried to lay his hands on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring for whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring no one can revoke. 
So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, to the satraps, to the governors and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia. 127 provinces in all. To every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. Now the law was essentially this. The Jews could defend themselves against those who attacked them. And they could take all their spoil. So that balanced the silly law, the frivolous, the dangerous, damaging law that set all of these events into motion. The first law was the people of the empire could attack the Jews and take all of their belongings. They could kill them. They could annihilate them. They could, well, pull off what Hitler tried to pull off beginning in the 30s. That was the first law. The law that balanced it was the Jews could defend themselves. And so, those who were tempted to attack the Jews would have to calculate and think, wait a minute, should we even tangle with the Jews? And so that's how they balanced the law. And that's what took place. Well, obviously the Jews survived and the Messiah came into the world. The point of this text, however, is... There is good news throughout the kingdom. We've got to get it out quickly. Beloved, there is a law in place God will never overthrow. The sin, the soul that sins, it shall die. Now God is not frivolous and careless, but God does compensate for his law with marvelous, inexplicable, stunning, startling grace. In other words, the soul that sins, it shall die. And there's personal death. There's the death of the spirit. There's the death of families. There's the death of marriages. There's the death of the physical body. But God loves us. And so he sent Jesus to suffer that execution from the king's court. The cross of Jesus Christ is nothing less than an execution of the Son of God in the place of all sinners. That's what God did at Calvary for our sins. And so... That's what you have in the death of Christ. Now, the Father was so pleased with him, he raised him from the dead. This is an urgent message. We've got to hurry and get it out. We've got to get it out quickly. In fact, you may not realize this, but in 2008, a study was done that discovered that every 30 seconds, more than 50 people die in 30-second time span. And at least 36 of those are adults that are launched into eternity without Jesus Christ. That was 2008. It's picking up speed. Next year, it will pick up speed. Unless we hurry and speed the message of Jesus Christ to the world. We need good news now. 
And there are several reasons why we can deliver it as good news and deliver it as now that surface from this particular text. One happens to be authority. God has authorized you and me to declare the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. Now that's what takes place here in this text. And there are two streams of authority that rise here in chapter 8. One happens to be in chapter 8 verse 3 where the queen herself goes before the king and pleads for mercy on the Jews, on her people. And in the same way, the Prince of Heaven pleads now before the Father on behalf of all those who've received Him as Lord and Savior. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, that Jesus Christ is the righteous one before Heaven's court and that He is our advocate, or at least to those who have repented and placed faith in Him. It reminds me of what the hymn writer said. He said, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is in the court of heaven pleading for your case, and there is none better than Jesus to be in that position. Well, that's what takes place here in this particular court before the king. His own queen comes pleading for her people, but then the king agrees to the plan of Mordecai and Esther and says, I want you to write your law as you wish to protect the Jews and then fold it and then seal it with my own ring. And that's typically what kings did. Presidents and others have a signature. They have an official seal. And that's what uh, those in governing authority have always had, to certify that it came from their own hand. And that's what takes place here. Beloved, the existence of the Word of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are a holy trinity of authorizations by heaven that this gospel message we preach into the world is authorized by God Himself. And so when you offer the gospel to others, you're not exaggerating. You're not obligating God with something he, uh, upon which he cannot deliver. Uh, you, you're not obligating God at all. You, you're not offering promises that God himself has not offered. You are not overselling the good news that anyone, no matter what they've done, can be forgiven by repenting and placing faith in Jesus Christ. This is the message authorized by God Himself. There does not need to be any hesitation or hiccup in conscience when you deliver the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ to others. It is authorized by heaven. Now I know, I know that we've got to exercise caution when speaking for a higher authority. We don't want to say more than what the authority has said. But beloved, he has said, anyone who repents and believes the gospel can be saved. Romans 10:11. Uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall not be disappointed. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we declare to the world is just as stable and reliable and just as good as the King Himself. We're authorized. That's the first reason, authority. But there's a second, and that is sympathy. In chapter 8, verse number 7, uh, or verse number 6, Esther said, How can I endure to see the evil? that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Yeah. Just how can I? How can I not act knowing the harm that would befall them? How can I fail to act knowing the destruction that will come upon them because of Haman's evil design? Well, it's a question. And it's a question expecting an answer. How, how could Esther endure that? She's in a position 
to interfere with an evil design against her people. If she did not act with her authority, how could she endure it? How could she stand in her conscience to have the opportunity to turn history and not act? Well, you know the answer, of course, don't you? It's a question that's not really answered. The question really is its own answer. She couldn't stand to have the opportunity and fail to act. I want to say to you, not only could Esther not fail to act and endure that and stand it, but God the Father can't either. Nor can the Son, nor can the Holy Spirit. What we are attempting to do in our world and in our community is the logical extension of the heart and soul of God God is the kind of God who loves sinners. God is the kind of God who has a strong and enduring love for those that rebel against Him. Now I know that one day Christ is going to return and one day He's going to eliminate all evil, all betrayers, all traitors. I understand that. But that's not this moment. In this moment, in this era, as long as it lasts... He's going to continue offering grace until that day comes, and we don't know when it is. So with the opportunity that we have before us, how can we endure not to tell? I I just have to tell you, I, I think that many Christians would share the gospel with the world even if there was no command to do it in the Word. They can't help themselves. Uh, love for the Lord and love for people would compel them and move them to, uh, to do so. They would have, like the Father, great sympathy for those who are caught up in the chains and the guilt of sin. And so they would extend themselves and they would reach and they would stretch to seek to share the gospel and bring it to others. A great bit of Sympathy. Esther asked the question, how could I endure the destruction of my people? We ask the same question as well. How can we endure? How can we stand it if those around us perish eternally and we had the opportunity and did nothing to change that? You know, it's amazing to me what people get excited about. I could show an SPCA or Humane Society commercial today and bring everyone to tears with puppies and kittens. Well, maybe not kittens, but puppies for sure. That wouldn't be very difficult to do. The same kind of heart and sentiment has got to be given to God's choice creation, human beings. We need to be very careful. Oh, now listen, I want you to be sympathetic towards puppies. Not kittens, but I do want you to be sympathetic towards puppies. I don't have any problem with that. Don't misunderstand me. Ladies and gentlemen, human beings are worthy of greater compassions. I remember when I was uh, on staff in my first church in East Texas. After, uh, and I think I told the Wednesday night crowd this one Wednesday evening, that after uh, Sunday school, or right before it ended, Our treasurer came to us, and he had received the offering from Sunday school, and he had counted through it. We were missing $100, and he determined 
that uh, we were missing a $100 bill. I forget exactly how we did that. Maybe the, the denominations were written uh, on a deposit slip. But in any case, he said, we need to hurry and look for it. And so he assigned us different Sunday school rooms to interrupt, to go look through waste paper baskets and restrooms. And we were uh, in the middle of a pasture in East Texas, surrounded by cattle. We had a cemetery in back. And so we looked throughout the building and we couldn't find it. And so he gathered us after service to look outside the building for it. And so we went by the volleyball court and a few oak trees. We went on a dirt path behind the church. We went to the cemetery. We asked them. They didn't know. And <laughs> he had to get on home. And so we left and he set an appointment with us for two o'clock that afternoon to return to the church property to look again for that $100 bill. Now he could have reached into his wallet and placed it there. He had a very successful John Deere tractor business. So we showed up, the pastor and I did, at 2 o'clock that afternoon to look and we went to the pastors. We asked the cattle. They had no clue what we were talking about and we continued looking all over. We never found that $100 bill, but that afternoon as we were scouring the church property in hot East Texas sun that was exacerbated by the worst humidity in the whole wide world. It dawned on me, we had tried to get this man to go on visitation with us and to go tell people about Jesus, and his response was always, well, they know where we are. And yet, when it came to something much less worthy and valuable, like a $100 bill, he had the zeal of an evangelist to find it. Now, I was smart back then. I did music and youth at the church, kept my mouth shut, just prayed about it. But I'll never forget that I think it's appropriate to look for a $100 bill if you're missing it. That's okay. But we must have more sympathy with lost people to bring them to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon wrote, he said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees. Let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Well, I don't have the gift, but do you have any love? You have love. So, sympathy, authority. But there's a third item that moves us to communicate this urgently, and that is totality. God's call to repentance extends to all humanity. He's not willing that any should perish, but come to repentance. Acts 17.30, Paul said, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, did you see the vast geographic area they had to cover with this message in verse 9? Did you see how large it was? Look, look again in verse 9. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Shavon, on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia. King Ahasuerus had a wide and expansive kingdom. I don't know, has there ever been one larger than this from India, let me do it here, India, down to Ethiopia. From the subcontinent of India down to North Africa. 
and everything in between. 127 provinces or something similar to 127 countries within this large, vast empire. And not only geographic expanse, but also social and demographic expanse. Again, to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia. And then he goes on to say every province in its own script. They didn't use all the same alphabet and the same letters in the same script. The Hebrews have one, the Indians have another. The Ethiopians have one, the Arabs have another. And so this message was translated into multiple languages with multiple scripts. And so think about the vocabulary choices that go on with something like this. And then they have to speed it and send it all over this vast empire to every people in their own language, to the Jews in their own script and in their own language. Back in the 80s, there were many who talked about what we call target group evangelism. And and much of that was a legitimate discussion. It did get a little suspicious after a while because it appeared that all the churches were targeting the burgeoning suburban areas of young, upwardly mobile Anglos. And some cases, others were overlooked. Now, that wasn't as bad as some of the critics say that it was, but I always thought that target group evangelism is, is okay, um, but I think of the categories a little different. I don't think necessarily in terms of race or even geography. I, I really think in terms of those who are breathing versus those who are not. My heart is to target everyone who's breathing. And the word target makes them nervous because it's, you know, a target uh, with a bullseye. I'm from Texas, forgive me. But um, reach, win, love, declare, use whatever word you'd like to use that makes you comfortable. I'm okay with that. But that's the spirit of this text. And that is the spirit of the Savior. Jesus said, go therefore. I mean, to a, a group of fellows who were, you know, at the time, essentially unemployed riffraff. They had given up their small businesses. They, they had nothing. And they had had nothing for three years, and many of them had families. And he said, go make disciples of all the nations. That included everyone. There is a totality to God's call to repentance. And and so I want us to be real careful as we move on that we are very cautious in how we categorize people. I want to say to you, I, I don't witness to cashiers at convenience stores, and I don't witness to poor people. I don't I won't even witness to wealthy people. I don't witness to Jews I don't witness to homosexuals. I don't witness to Hindus. I witness to people. And so I witness to Vic and Javon. And I witness to Avery and Nelson and Demetrius. And I witness to Harley. 
people with names who have a vast commonality about them, all are guilty and condemned by their sin, and yet beloved intensely by God who raised his crucified son from the dead for their salvation. Those are the ones to whom I share the gospel. These are people that God wants to come to repentance. And the good news is, no one is so bad that they can't come, but no one is so good that they can afford to stay where they are. All are to come to repentance. There's a totality to this. And so, therefore, you will never meet anyone who has to remain a non-Christian. You'll never meet anyone for whom God does not have eternal affections displayed in the death of His Son. You you will never meet anyone who would be better off as a non-Christian. There's a totality to this. And and a fourth reason then that we can extend this gospel quickly and now is clarity. God has made the good news clear. In fact, did you hear about the man whose wife said, I need you to go to the grocery store and get two gallons of milk. And if avocados are on sale, bring six. And so he came home with six gallons of milk. Makes perfectly good sense to me, doesn't it? That's too loud, darling. Thank you. That kind of confusion does not exist with the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ can be summarized in John 3.16. It can be summarized in the major sections of the, of the book of Romans, which are essentially the Romans road, what we call the Romans road. Romans 3.23, 6.23, 10.9, and 13. Marvelous summaries of the major sections of the, gospel, uh, of the book of Romans. That, that is the nature of the gospel of Christ. In verse 9, it was communicated, this good news to the Jews was communicated according to their language and even in their own script. So the gospel... The good news of Christ is not still in process. We're not waiting for a committee report to uh, deliver its meaning. That's not what we're waiting for. Of course, you know what a camel is. A camel is a horse put together by two committees. That's not what we're waiting for. It is settled, and it's been settled since Jesus died and rose again. It's been affixed. There is a definitive content to the gospel that is accessible to the whole world and can come with the great force and power of the Holy Spirit and all men and women who will believe can be saved. Now isn't that a marvelous thing? You can say that about the Christian gospel. You really cannot say that about many of the other messages of other world religions. Islam, for example, has a holy book called the Quran and it really is not authoritative unless it's in Arabic. And for that reason, most Muslims never get the Quran because they don't read Arabic. Most of their faith is what their parents and their teacher teaches them. And so most of them are not Quranic Muslims, like we would be biblical Christians. Most of them are traditional. And that's why most of them throughout the world, not all, but most are moderate and very careful with how they live their faith. And so Muslims cannot access the Quran, because it is not to be authoritative in a translation other than Arabic, and they can't read Arabic. The Christian faith, however, was never recorded in the language of its founder. The language of Jesus was Hebrew and was Aramaic. The New Testament and the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ was never recorded 
in the Hebrew language. The Old Testament was, but not the New Testament. It was recorded in Koine Greek, the common Greek, the common language of the empire, is what it was recorded in. That that is wonderfully translatable, in fact, into more than 3,000 languages of the earth. We've got some more to go. But it's able to be translated. Now, why is it that God brought the New Testament and the message of the faith of Jesus Christ into such a common language that is so easy to be translated? Well, when you share the gospel, remember this. It is translatable. It is understandable in that way because God has something to say and he wants the world to understand it. That is the heart and soul of God. God is not so distant and mysterious and nebulous and undefined and so unsympathetic that he cannot communicate to the earth. God is the kind of God that, wants, that has something to say and wants to be understood. The gospel of Jesus Christ can be made clear. Not all of it is apocalyptic literature. Not all of it is like reading the book of Revelation, as much as we enjoy doing that. It is clear, straightforward, because God wants people saved. So when King Ahasuerus excused the Jews from his deadly edict, he sent messengers throughout the land to deliver it quickly. The king of king has good news for sharing now. It's authority, it's sympathy, totality, and clarity. It reminds me of a little girl by the name of Hannah. She gave a uh, real insightful statement to her mother one day. She said, Mom, I think that Jesus has come out of my heart. And she said, what do you mean? She said, well, I I think he's in my throat because all I want to do is tell people about him. (laughs) And here at Beach Haven, that's where Jesus is for us and we want to hurry and tell you about him. Hurry and now humble yourself before God because he says, if you'll do that, the Lord will lift you up in due time. He also says to call on him in the day of trouble and he will answer you and you shall glorify him. If you were to call on this God who crucified his son and raised him from the dead in repentance and faith, he will take you. Acts 3.19 says, repent and return that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Break from your life and break away in your heart from everything that keeps you from Jesus Christ, and rush to Him today. Give your sin and your all to Him today, and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. He will hear you in the day of trouble. And Father, we pray for friends that they would do exactly that. Help them to open wide the door of their heart and say yes to Christ. Others, help them to follow you in baptism and church membership. Others to share this good news around the globe or locally. And help us all to be a people who speed on quickly to declare the good news of Jesus Christ from deep within the heart in a life full of profound discipline. We give this time to you now, Father. And we want Jesus to approve of what we do in these moments. Now in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And when we do, we want to ask you to step out from where you are and meet one of our staff members here. If you need help this morning giving your life to Christ. Some of you need to come and become part of Beach Haven Baptist Church. 
by baptism or moving your letter or some other means, why don't you come? We'll be glad to help you with that. Others, maybe God's calling you to minister or a missionary service. We want to celebrate that with you and pray for you. Some children today may need to take a first step towards Jesus, and if not this Sunday, the next. Maybe there's some other need that you've got. We want to be of service to you. There's no magic walking down this aisle. We're simply giving you a practical opportunity to receive the help that you need in making this decision. Would you quickly stand with me, please? I'm going to finish my prayer, and we're going to ask you to come. Dear Lord, honor Jesus' name now. Gather for him all you intend to gather now. And may we be fully cooperative and submissive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.